Experience part three of running back player by player profiles, average draft positions as they stand right now. Of course, ADPs are always going to change, so keep up to date on everything with that. We're going to continue to talk about these players and where we expect them to go in fantasy drafts and what our outlook is on them this season. Chris Meany from The Athletic at Chris Meany on Twitter is joining me right now, along with the man, the myth, the legend, the creator of the fantasy football black book, which you should go to Amazon. Dot com, not to the Amazon, because I don't know if you're allowed to leave the country yet or not. We're filming this in advance. But Amazon.com, pretty sure you can do that. Check out the Fantasy Football Black Book, which should be out right now. Joe Pizapia. I wanted to bring in a conversation we were having just before we start, before we get into the player profiles, is that to end off on part two, we talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And that maybe that because we talked about the depth and some stability of these like middle-round running backs, that you had mentioned, Joe, Lamar Miller. Uh, in the last show where not sexy but for a while he was just a very good running back too that maybe if you do want Edwards Hilaire you can go gamble on him at the beginning of the second round or wherever the hell you pick to make sure that you get him knowing that there is a safety net at running back a little bit but you're gonna have to overinvest in that position yeah I think that's exactly where you want to go and I think there's nothing wrong with being excited about Hilaire and wanting to take that shot the upside is enormous the upside is a top five fantasy running back that you could get in the second round. So I'm all for taking that risk. If you want to do that, I think a lot of what comes into play here is for some of the casual leagues and the mom and pop leagues, or as my friend Scott likes to call them the Ruben boob leagues where, you know, Clyde Edwards or probably be available in the third or fourth round. Cause people really don't know all that much about him. So if you're watching shows like this, you are able to take advantage of that and wait even longer, get the Nick Chubbs of the world first and then you're able to get a layer two probably and really just kind of roll, run the table. I think where it becomes difficult is where uh, the ESPNs or CBSs or the sites where they start ranking these guys. If Edwards Alaire gets ranked really high, he's going to start to really go higher than you realize. And you're going to almost have to take him, I think, early second round in order to have him. But it's very easy to then back it up and get the guys like Singletary, get the guys like uh, Miles Sanders, some other running backs that we were talking about later on, and just pile up the position just so you have some insurance. Because I think you might not need the insurance, but I think there's a really good chance you will need the insurance in the early going in September. And you know what? Yeah, four, six weeks doesn't sound like a lot until you realize, do you really want to start two and four? No, because you could dig yourself a hole and you got to make the playoffs. So you have to be smart about this. I think taking him in the first round is a little nuts. I think taking him in the second is doable because of the way the depth of the position happens to fall this year. Yeah, meaning like you're going to have to take a few cracks here. And if this is a because we talked about like Chiefs running back, if he can be the guy, then all of a sudden you might have a league winner on your hands. Now, you need to make that decision yourself. But if you do, you're going to have to overpay for it. And if you're right, it's not an overpay because you got the guy you wanted. Yeah, exactly. You know, when we talked about part two, just comparing him as as a guy like Alvin Kamara and Austin Eckler last year, somebody that, you know, they didn't pile up a lot of carries between the tackles, but they were explosive in those offenses. They caught a lot of balls out of the backfield. My one question, again, is what I said in part two is I don't know if he's going to be that goal line back. But even still, if he's going to catch the ball three or four times in that offense and just touch it on average 12 times, about 220 times a year, he can turn out RB1 value. And I agree with a lot of what both of you guys are saying. 
I think for me, first round pick is too much. But if I'm at the end of the first and I can get a stud wide out and then I can get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and by the time it comes back to me, there are going to be a couple backs that you could go. Even if you wanted to go RB, RB, RB that way, you could still do it, protect your investment, have another solid back that's going to touch the ball a little bit more, a Chris Carson, an Aaron Jones that the fantasy community is down on. They expect some regression. These are backs that are going to fall to you a little bit later on. Melvin Gordon, Joe throws out James Conner. It's a little bit of risk there, but that's a back that's going to fall into the fourth round this year because of some of the injury history that he has. And we know he's just a couple years removed from being a top five RB in the league. So there's going to be a couple targets that you can get a little bit later on. But you're right, Pat. If you want Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you're going to have to get him. You're going to have to be bold on it. You're just going to have to grab him in the second. He won't be there for you in the third. All right. Well, let's jump into the rest of the running backs. Uh, we've covered the top. 20 or so that are going first now we're going to this next year it kicks off with Devin Singletary who had a lot more fantasy hype behind him before the NFL draft actually happened so now we're looking at Devin Singletary he was going as high as like the very beginning of the third round I have a big feeling that's going to be scaled back a little bit meaning now that Zach Moss is in town yeah, it has to, unfortunately. That was the question that we all had before the draft. Can Singletary be that 300-touch guy? It was We've kind of linked, I have anyways, linked Singletary and Miles Sanders together as guys that started off slow in their offenses last year as rookies, and towards the end of the year, they were given you know bigger workloads. You look at Devin Singletary, 6, 4, 7, 3 carries, 8, 15, and then boom, he starts getting 20, 21 carries, a couple games with 6 catches, 7, 8 targets. So he was a player in the offense, but what you know this, Pat, watching the bills and covering the bills the back to own in the red zone is josh allen <laughs> it's yeah. the guy who who seems to cover <laughs> he, he's the guy i mean it, he had i think two fewer red zone rushing attempts than frank gore last year frank gore is gone but they bring in zach moss is moss more of a between the tackle guy yeah he he probably is he, he could potentially be the goal line guy there it's going to be frustrating at times to figure out who's going to get the touches in the red zone is allen going to call his own number they're going to hand it off to moss they're going to give it's a Singletary. So unfortunately, Singletary is not going to be that 300 touch guy where Philly didn't invest into a back. Buffalo did. I still like Singletary as a guy that I think has some upside if you're going to be able to get him in the fourth round. But I don't think you're going to see too many games where he had 20 carries like we saw towards the end of last year. Yeah, maybe the Zach Moss thing is all a smokescreen, but it does seem pretty glaring just based on the numbers. And I know that Singletary was banged up for a few weeks last season, but Frank Gore, 11 carries inside the five-yard line. Josh Allen, five for five, by the way. Five carries inside the five, <laughs> five touchdowns. Uh, and Devin Singletary, two. Like, I would expect that number to yeah. go up a bit, but I think just saying, well, Devin Singletary is going to be Frank Gore. Let's give him double-digit touches inside of the five-yard line. The touchdowns will follow. That could be the case, but I think that's a far less likely option, Joe, than Zach Moss being a guy who gets like 10 carries a game, but he's primarily used in the red zone. Well, this is perfect. I love this scenario. I absolutely love it. Because what you're having right now is all this talk about the new toy again. Here we go, Zach Moss, right? And yeah, maybe Zach Moss will find his way eventually. But are we really going to think that in the first six weeks of the season now he is going to be the guy that kind of unseat Devin Singletary? No, I Wait, don't but, think but, so but, at no, all. But, but no one is talking about unseating Devin Singletary. We think that you're Devin's saying eating into it. Yes, and just the Bills have shown, even over the past two years, since Josh Allen has been there, and it's really a three-headed monster because Josh Allen is the primary runner on this team. He is the running back that you want to own. He just doesn't happen to play running back. Singletary is good, and Singletary will churn out a ton of yards, but I just don't know what his touchdown upside is going to be. Like, six? You're right. The touchdown yeah. upside is limited. Well, but I'll tell you what. 
at a certain point, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you have to protect your investment in Josh Allen too. And I think at a certain point, you have to look at this and say, this is our division to lose boys. I'm not saying saying Josh Allen don't, you know, stop running altogether. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying at a certain point, you have to protect a little bit of the Josh Allen investment. You have to realize, okay, if this guy goes down, so goes our hopes of winning this division, because there is a window here where the Patriots are weaker than they've been in 20 years. And you could actually go ahead and make a run here. And I think that what's happening in the suppression of Josh Allen factor, the Zach Moss factor, the fact that Devin Singletary did miss a chunk of the season last year with an injury, all of those things keep suppressing Devin Singletary's value. And I think make him a really good return on investment potentially. Is he going to be dazzling and win you weeks? No, but can he be a really good flex running back for you? Absolutely. So everything you guys said is right. But I think everything you guys are saying is going to be the narrative out there. And it gonna, it's going to suppress and suppress and suppress that value of Devin Singletary to a point where he actually becomes a really good value because you've basically mitigated all the risk and all the things you're talking about. And there could actually be upside for more potentially. I do see that potential on there. And Singletary, when he was given those touches early on before he got hurt, was making the most of them. This was a guy ripping off huge runs. I remember that Jet game in, in week one in the fourth quarter. He was able to basically come into that fourth quarter of that game and just blew the doors off the Jets, and, and they basically came back and won that football game and snatched it away, and that was pretty much the end of the season from the Jets going forward. But Singletary continues to get suppressed value-wise, and I think that's what makes him a decent investment this year. No, there's not as much upside as some of the other guys, but that doesn't mean he's not useful and a good return. So what we're looking at, Meany, uh, is everyone is projecting onto what he did at the end of last season into what he can do this year. So 15, 21, 14, 17, 21, 15 carries. That's awesome. He had six catches in one of those games, too, but primarily in the two to three catch range per game. So you're fine if he can get his 20 touches per game, and he probably will get his 20 touches per game. Here's the issue, that when you go back and look at that red zone usage that I talked about, do you know who his best comp is from last year? Who, Singletary's? Yeah. In terms of red zone touches? It, just, just in terms of red zone usage. Man, near the bottom. I can't imagine he was in the top 40 of backs. No, his best comp right now is what Devonta Freeman did last year. So Devin Singletary accounted for 27% of yeah. carries inside the 20 yard line, 9% inside the 10, 11% inside the five. I would expect and those numbers. Same. I would expect those numbers to go up, but not substantially. So like, even if you double all those numbers, that's still not good. Yeah. I would, ex- yeah, maybe it goes up slightly, but I, you know, if I could compare Zach Moss to anybody in the NFL right now, and people may go nuts over this, but it's, it's kind of Chris Carson. It's a power back. And Zach Moss, I think, is going to be that goal line back. And Joe brings up a good point. Yes, we, what we've seen over the past couple of years with Josh Allen, he is the runner. He calls his own number. He's very good at it as well. He's very good at finding the end zone with his legs when he's inside the 10, as we've all alluded to here. But at one, at some point, you do have to try to protect your quarterback and say, listen, we don't want you to run all over the place. So I think that they bring in Zach Moss to potentially take away uh, a few of those rushes inside the red zone. If if I'm a betting man and, and I'm looking at a guy who's who's going to get the carries inside the red zone, it's going to be Zach Moss. It's not going to be Singletary. And when you, Pat, you touched on the upside on touchdowns, you said six. Like, I don't know if this is a guy that's going to find the end zone six times, you know, maybe from his long runs and his explosiveness and through the air catching balls, but he's not going to be a guy that they give the ball to inside the 10. 
that's why I think they drafted Zach Moss. So yeah, you're right. You rattle off those, those red zone numbers. It makes sense. I don't see a big increase for him this year. Yeah. So best case scenario, Devin Singletary is kind of like Austin Eckler, but he's not going to be as good as Austin Eckler just because he's not going to, he might have the same usage, but the value right. of his usage may not be as high, but I worry about Eckler as well. Cause before the draft, Joe, everyone was super high on Austin Eckler. And then like, Oh, maybe it's going to be a split uh, right now with Justin Jackson. Then they go out and they get Kelly and it looks like Tyrod's going to be playing quarterback from at least the outset of the season, which is all sort of a negative in for Eckler, Joe, like a lot of his value comes from those 92 catches on 108 targets. And newsflash, Philip Rivers isn't the quarterback anymore. That number is not even going to be close. <laughs> no, that that's the biggest problem is the downgraded quarterback. And I think when you're looking at 92 receptions on 108 targets, that is that's an impressive conversion rate too. <laughs> Let's be honest, the guy caught everything that was thrown to him, and he was terrific. And I feel like Austin Eckler is basically playing last year to prove that he could be the guy going forward. And I think he accomplished that goal now he is that guy number one how does he react to that number two how does that basically now fit into what tyrod taylor is going to be able to do or what his limitations are more importantly and i think there are limitations here with the San, uh, said san diego with the los angeles chargers because i do feel like eckler is going to be a really good ppr back but i think when you're looking in standard leagues and things of that nature you really have to evaluate and say okay how many touchdowns are we talking about here what are we looking about but at the end of the day yards are yards so if you're talking about Devin Singletary and he's going to maybe he's going to get, I don't know, 1300 all purpose yards and six touchdowns. OK, well, that's something you can work with on a team. Eckler, you know, his all purpose yards, I think, are going to be somewhere in that 1400 range, probably all purpose. And I think that's really good. You can work with that. What are the touchdowns? That's the unknown, which is why when you go back and listen to the other versions of the show in part one and part two, those guys that have opportunities to find the end zone are crucial. So don't get hung up so much on the targets in some of these formats, look at the touchdown possibilities and make your choice based on that. That's your tiebreaker with some of these guys. But when I look at Eckler, I look at a guy who's earned his spot, but at the same time, there's still some question marks there. And I think the downgrade at quarterback, and if they do move to the rookie quarterback, God knows how that's going to impact him this year. So he's a guy that I'm staying away from unless I get a huge, huge value on him. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the value has emerged yet. There was talk of Eckler being like a top five guy when he was the only one and Phillip Rivers was still the quarterback, but that's just not the case. And I don't even think that the drop-off from Rivers to Tyrod is like super substantial based on where Rivers was at last season. It's a huge drop-off fantasy-wise because Rivers – almost had like the Jameis effect where he would throw himself out of a game then had to throw himself back into the game. And we just know that here's the problem with Tyrod, and it actually links to Devin Singletary a lot, that I think the Chargers and Bills are just going to play a lot of the same way. It's going to be a lot of grinding. It's going to be a lot of on the ground, and that doesn't necessarily support Austin Eckler a lot. We've seen Tyrod, and maybe this changes now that he's playing for the Chargers and gets a shot at the role, but he's not big on just dump-offs. You know what he doesn't do? Dump-off. He runs in those circumstances. So now all of a sudden you're taking away carries from running backs, potentially on plays if there's designed runs. You're taking away receptions from running backs on situations where normally Phillip Rivers would just dump it off, who's like the king of the screen. Tyrod's just going to run in those circumstances. So there's a lot of limitations here, and if they go to a split backfield, like we've seen the Bills do, and like we might see right now, I mean, the Chargers have done it, there's just always enough to go around with Rivers because of those receptions, that we just might not get that. That if Eckler is the lead back in this offense but it's only like a 55 percent snap share that's just not going to be good enough yeah i agree 100 percent with you and you're absolutely right about tyrod taylor maybe he's changed his game a little bit but you're right from what i remember in buffalo he's just 
he didn't want to dump it off three yards. He would just run those three yards himself and run out of bounds. And what we've seen from Phillip Rivers over the years, not just with Austin Eckler, go back to Danny Woodhead and all those big seasons he had as well. And for Austin Eckler, and you know, you look at the game log and he had three rushing touchdowns. He had those three rushing touchdowns when Melvin Gordon wasn't part of the team. He wasn't with the team. He mm. was getting those red Great zone point. opportunities and he never had any more rushing touchdowns after that. There was a game where Melvin Gordon wasn't in there and I think they went to him three, maybe four times in a row and he was stuffed every single time. He's just not that type of back. You look early on, 12 carries, 17, 9, 18. Then Melvin Gordon starts to get on the field, 5, 3, 5, 6, 5, 8, 7. It's not appealing. He's not going to catch 92 balls. He's not going to have eight receiving touchdowns. Those numbers are just going to come down. So you're right. About four weeks ago, before the draft, people were talking about Eckler being a for sure lock RB1. That's not the case for me. I don't think so. I, I think Joshua Kelly is going to play a pretty decent role in this offense as somebody who's going to carry the ball between the tackles, is going to get some red zone opportunities, can be a three down back. I think Eckler's still going to keep his role. He's going to be the pass catcher. I think he's going to get the majority of the snaps, uh, but I don't see him repeating last year. I think if you're buying into him, assuming that he's going to be able to duplicate what he did last year. I think that's a mistake. I think he can get to 1400 all purpose yards like Joe mentions, but expecting 92 catches from Austin Eckler finishing as an RB four in a PPR league last year. That's just, it's streaming. So these running backs that we're talking about right now, obviously every league is going to be different based on how these teams are drafted. So the range is basically end of the second round to beginning of fourth round, depending on how much people like like Chris Carson, essentially. It's like Edwards Hilaire, Singletary, Melvin Gordon, Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Chris Carson, Le'Veon Bell. That's sort of a range of you can interchange those running backs in terms of where they're going. But like we said, there's a couple in there that we like substantially more than others. Now we get to this next tier of sort of the late third round, fourth round, early fifth round running back. And Meany, a guy I convinced you to draft on our League of Leagues team, pretty high, and it was right after it happened. But if we talk about, you know, there's not a lot of touchdown potential for Devin Singletary, and there's not a lot for Austin Eckler. Do you know who has a shot here to score a lot of touchdowns this season? Todd Gurley. (laughs) Does he ever? I like the landing spot. I love it. And I don't think that Atlanta's going to be afraid to give him the ball like Sean McVay was last year. I don't know what, what the deal was last year. Maybe they were just looking at the at the big picture. They wanted to save Todd Gurley's legs for the second half of the season, get into the playoffs. Well, they screwed up because they didn't get into the playoffs. And he didn't touch the ball early as much, like 14, 15 carries. And then the last two games of the season, 25, he touched the ball – uh, on it looked a lot like Todd Gurley of a couple years ago, catching balls out of the backfield. There were some games last year where he had one zero catches. Like that's just not the Todd Gurley that we're used to. And I think in Atlanta, they're going to give him that workload. You're right. The depth that Atlanta has, it's non-existent, especially at the running back position. They just don't have it. So I really do feel like Todd Gurley is going to be given the opportunity to touch the ball 20 times in this offense and a team that I still think has some holes defensively that it's going to be playing from behind quite often. An offensive line that's not really great, but it's Matt good. Ryan has been known. Yeah, it's not bad, but has Matt Ryan has been known to dump it off, right? We just talked about Freeman before we got on. We were all surprised at how many catches he had, and you go back a couple years prior to that, and him and Tevin Coleman and how many grabs that they had combined. So I like Todd Gurley a lot. We don't have to get so scared about drafting him in the first, second round, to your point. I think there's terrific value is one of those backs that we talked about. If you go wide receiver in the first or in the second, there's a RB one potential that he has that upside. We already saw it even last year finished as RB 14 
with as frustrating as he was and still finding the end zone 12 times on the ground, 14 total. So I, I'm in on Gurley this year. Yeah, so I, the, the biggest risk here, Joe, is that his knee is fucked and <laughs> just going to be the end of it. Like, he's just not going to be good. But he, like, Could you be more forthcoming with how you feel about that, like what the risk is? I, I'm good with that risk, though. If, if I need to take I'm Todd too. Gurley in the fourth round and you're telling me this is a guy – if we're only concerned about mining volume, now you might want to go on talent. You're like, J.K. Dobbins, he's great. He's so much better than Mark Ingram. You're not going to get an argument from me on that. But if we look at what the Ravens are going to do, are they just going to use him 80% of the time? Probably not. What Atlanta might do, especially if Freeman is just gone, he doesn't come back. And as it stands right now, he is not back as we record this. That... If you have Gurley on a one-year contract and you know that he's nearing the end and you're trying to make a run, they're going to run this guy into the ground. That's what they're going to do. What, they're going to mix him up with Judge Ito or Brian Hill or Quadre Olison? No, it's going to be Todd Gurley's backfield. And you had pointed out the sneaky amount of Freeman receptions. I I didn't even – I thought it was half of what the actual total was. That if you can get Gurley back up into the 50-catch range, all of a sudden he could be – I don't want to say he could be a top – I mean, he could be a top five running back, but that would easily, based on volume, make him a top 10 running back. He could be an RB1. I mean, he He was almost an RB1 last year, right? Uh, As Chris just pointed out, from 14 overall because of all the touchdowns he scored. It was mind-blowing to watch the odd usage. I don't want to say not usage, just odd usage last year. Uh, spots where you would say, well, why aren't we throwing the ball to Todd Gurley here? Or why aren't we getting him more touches here? He's, he's going well, he's rolling. It was so bizarre to watch. And I don't know if it was just between McVay and management. I don't know if it's between Gurley and McVay or Gurley and management. I don't know what the combination of oddness and where it stemmed from. But I do know this. It ain't there anymore. He's in Atlanta. Atlanta's got him. Like you said, it's one year. Todd Gurley kind of has a lot to prove here because Todd Gurley's career is kind of on the bubble. There's a fork in the road here for him. And it's funny, last year I was somebody who, kind of like you, Pat, I was forcing a lot of people to try to take Todd Gurley because he was going at the end of the first round at the turn. And I said, hey, look, there's very few guys where the upside, if you're right about them, is the best running back in football. I don't think Todd Gurley can get back to that plateau but can he be an RB1 again? Yeah. And now he went from being a guy you took at the turn last year to a guy you're talking about potentially third, fourth round. I mean, it's a no-brainer to take the shot on Gurley. He is going to catch the ball more in this offense. This is a very good offense for him. And dare I say, a much better quarterback. I understand that uh, there's been some numbers there in recent years for uh, for the Rams QB situation. I get it. The numbers are there. The mistakes were also there, too. I think Matt Ryan is a far superior quarterback. I think working him into this offense is going to be fascinating. And let's not forget, too, as bad as the Falcons were in the first half of the season, as good as they were in the second half, they really rallied around, somehow figured it out, and were a hyper-competitive football team towards the end. I think they believe they can be competitive this year, and I think Todd Gurley has a lot to prove, and that is a dangerous combination. I love this. This is where you take all the, the data and you kind of throw it out the window and you go back to, What's football about and what's the scenario of the Atlanta Falcons? And this is a very win now scenario. And that is very good for redraft leagues. Yeah. I want to clarify. I was not in on Todd Gurley last year uh, at the end of the first round. That was a big pass for me, but you, yeah. you hey, he finished about where you'd want him to. I mean, he, he justified yeah. kind of where he went. Yeah. 
second round i was okay he was a second round back he was an our high-end rb2 he was basically uh the the frank gore of touchdown yet. machine he was the he was the frank gore of yesteryear uh where he's a guy that you draft look at the end of the year hey the stats are pretty good it's like oh because he played every game perfect like in points per game he was 17th and that's you know a third round value i think he does better than that this year i like the situation more i like the value more and it's just going to be super unsexy because people are going to be like you know who's better meaning david montgomery he, in year two, ready for a breakout, he's the guy. And maybe they're right. Maybe the talent, the youth, the health, all rest with David Montgomery. But give me Todd Gurley instead. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm in. I I like David Montgomery. I'm not ready to count him out, but I'm taking. Yeah, I'm taking Todd Gurley. And the biggest thing is is the catches. Like I, I David Montgomery's not going to catch all those balls. And and just looking at it again, I mean, last year, 49 targets, 31 catches. He had more catches in 2018 than targets last year. He had more catches in 2017 than targets last year. So he just wasn't getting that type of usage. And we've already talked about it. I just feel like Gurley will get that usage out of the backfield in terms of just catches. He's going to get three to five catches a game. He's going to be that Todd Gurley that we liked in 2017. He's not going to be as efficient. I don't think he's going to run for... 1300 yards 1200 yards but he's going to be the red zone back we already talked about the depth that they don't have in Atlanta and he's going to catch balls and over to David Montgomery if if you want to go right yeah there. That, that's where I want to go um you know it's just it, for me it was a little bit of actually a lot of bit of, of Nagy <laughs> it was Nagy we we rip on Gase a lot and I think we we could rip on Matt Nagy here and what they did at the start of the season, right? Mixing in just so many random backs. He didn't use Tariq Cohen the way that he probably should have been used. Um, you know, touching the ball six to ten times over the first couple of games of the season, we weren't really seeing how effective Dave Montgomery could be. And then towards the end of the year, he starts getting 20 carries a game. He starts getting all those touches out of the backfield in the red zone. You start to like him a little bit more, but there's no question to me, Pat, if I'm sitting there on the board and I'm seeing Dave Montgomery and Todd Gurley, I'm taking the back who has the upside, who's going to catch, like I said, three to five balls. There were a lot of games last year where Dave Montgomery was not a player at all in the backfield in the receiving game. So I have some concerns that way. They didn't bring any options in to, to really help Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky. They, besides another couple tight ends, <laughs> it does seem like maybe they want to run the football there and hand it off to, to Montgomery, but I don't think he's going to be a big player in PPR leagues. Yeah, Joe, 242 carries for Montgomery in his rookie season. I would actually expect that to go up, to be perfectly honest with you, with the way <laughs> this team is constructed. I just, he's not bad, but he's also not good. And unless somehow he turns the corner and scores 15 touchdowns, which he might be given the opportunity to do that. I don't want to take that away from him, but I just don't see it in this offense. Well, here's another cautionary tale of a young running back that we're all very excited about last year, and it didn't work. And again, this happens quite a bit. I mean, Melvin Gordon is another prime example of running back we're all very excited about in his rookie year. Didn't work. Year two is when he came in and was very good. There's certainly upside to improve for David Montgomery. I mean, it's hard to imagine it getting worse and him keeping his job. I hate this Bears offense. I can't stand where the quarterback position is. And yeah, he had almost 250 carries. But I think to Chris's point, too, when you watch the games – it's the rhythm of those carries and the way they were so staggered that to me, Montgomery's one of those guys. He is better. The more you give him the football and the more you give it to him continuously. And I think he's one of these rhythm running backs and there's less of them now in the NFL. There's more guys like Alvin Kamara who you could give him the ball one time and that's all he needs. Whereas Montgomery, I think is a little bit of a throwback in that sense. The more he touches the football, the more he gets involved in the offense, the better he is. I think it's more like Aaron Jones. 
who was another one of those kind of running backs to me. So there's certainly room for improvement here when you look at Montgomery, but I think there's a huge cap on that improvement because of how bad I think the bears are going to be. So unfortunately this is a scenario where I think it's going to be more of a mess. And you know what? Chris media makes a great point too. At what point do we hold Matt Nagy accountable? Because this was a team two years ago that was in the playoffs and last year, the doors just completely fell off. And I don't see how this team gets any better. I thought they had a strange draft. I mean, I like Cole Komet. I thought that was a, a great pick. I think he's the only tight end that I really was excited about in this draft. But, geez, man, I feel like this team needed a lot more, and they just didn't get it. And all begins and ends with the quarterback position. Yeah, and they currently have 10 active tight ends on their roster. Yeah. And that's not a joke. That's actually <laughs> nope. what they have. Oh, it's get, a joke, Pat. And, it's a joke. And then you go draft <laughs> a tight end, no matter how good that t- – unless you get George Kittle or Travis Kelsey um, – you might want to cut the rest of those people. I don't know. But here's the problem. Like, Montgomery had excellent usage. He handled 88% of the carries inside the five-yard line for the Chicago Bears last season. 14 carries. That was fourth in the – sorry, fifth in the league amongst all running backs. He only scored five touchdowns. And part of the problem is how bad the offensive line was, especially run blocking for the Chicago Bears. And they did nothing to upgrade it, really. Nope. They, they signed one player from Arizona who also had a disastrous offensive line. So 29th last season in terms of offensive line. And when you go look at adjusted line yards for Chicago, it's even worse. It's 30th in the league. They were the third worst team. Maybe they improve. Maybe they're a more cohesive unit, but nothing on paper in their acquisitions would lead me to believe that's going to be any better. So you're relying on David Montgomery, talent or not, to do this all himself. And that's just tough to do in these situations when you're not getting a lot of help from your quarterback either. Not only are teams going to pile up against you, you have a bad offensive line that – it's going to be a lot of volume, and that's always good. We want a lot of volume, but you would like to have a modicum of efficiency along with it. Yeah, yeah there's you, just you, not enough there, right, Meany? Yeah, no, you're right, Joe. There, there just isn't. And again, I go back to Nagy, and there was one game where Dave Montgomery finished with 20 carries, but he had one in the first half. Like it just, <laughs> right, there's the rhythm. That's the rhythm factor yeah. I'm talking about. Like, you look at the numbers, you go, why isn't this working, right, Chris? But then you, when you actually watch the pattern of the carries – you go, what the hell are you doing? Give this guy the football consistently and let's go. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see seen Chicago draft um, a wide receiver, some sort of deep threat that can open up this offense a little bit. When we talked uh, about stack boxes. They signed Ted Ginn, maybe. <laughs> so what? Um, is James I, Jett I, not available? I mean, what are we doing here? I, I think Nick Foles can help this offense. Obviously, Allen Robinson is is a big time player, a wide receiver one that's going to get a lot of targets. Can Anthony Miller show a little bit of what he showed towards the end of last season and be a, be a two and and open up the offense a little bit? They need to be able to open up this offense because, to your point, Pat, when they had Trubisky under center and they're handing it off to Montgomery, he's just running into walls and it's there's just nothing there to to get excited about so Chicago is going to be one of the worst offensive teams again and I think in the league but looking at what Montgomery did last year and as bad as he was and he wasn't efficient he wasn't getting you know the ball a ton he still finishes RB 24 in a full point PPR league but you expect some guys to take a step forward maybe James Connor for example the rookies get into that RB2 status. So I think if you're drafting Montgomery as an RB2, it's a mistake. But I do feel like if he falls enough to where he goes to the fourth or fifth round as a flex guy, as some depth RB3, as somebody who will touch the ball 260 times at least, I don't I don't think that's bad. I just think you need to temper expectations. Yeah, I, I would rather, if I'm going to go with a flex running back, I'd rather be searching for the Kareem Hunts of the world who are going to get four or five catches in a catches. game. And a, and a touchdown potentially because I think, you know, he's just going to have that more potential. I, and look, it's just a different philosophy there. 
but I, it's you're just both of those guys are more flex running backs than RB twos. And anybody who's trying to make Montgomery an RB two this year or draft him as such based on just the volume yeah. isn't seeing the bigger picture here that Pat's laying out. So I, I don't hate him as like running back. 20 running back 21 but you need to have better running backs than that like there's such a huge disparity between all the running backs we've kind of talked about and then down into this fourth fifth round tier like another guy who's in this tier being drafted right around the same spot and I think is pretty comparable to David Montgomery is James Conner that if he remains the guy, he's going to be really good. I think I probably am going to draft Anthony McFarlane like the 14th round instead and just pass on James Conner though. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, sure, back in, in the Pittsburgh offense. I think that James Conner is is one of the terrific values. Now, it's early, but again, some mocks. I've seen Conner go as RB25, fifth round. He's only a couple years removed from, from being a top five running back. And I know it was Big Ben in that offense, and he was solid. But, you know, I don't think Jalen Samuels did anything. He was given an opportunity last year. He did nothing. Benny Snell, he did nothing. So McFarland, sure, he could maybe step in. And Connor has the injury history, only 10 games last year, 13 the year before that, 14 in 2017. But he still has terrific upside. There is something to be said, though, Pat, in you know seeing this injury history and Pittsburgh loading up on a couple backs because in years past, Tomlin obviously he had Bell, but when Bell went down, D'Angelo Williams, other guys, Connor, he would just gave them the ball and was like, "Here, you're going to be the big part of this offense in the backfield. You're going to touch the ball 20 times. You're going to catch it. You're going to do absolutely everything." But for me, I still think that Connor's going to be given that opportunity. I feel like. Maybe not to the extent of Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but as somebody who could touch the ball 15 times and still be a solid RB2 for you, catching balls out of the backfield. So I think he's great value. It's I, just there's some risk. Yeah, the, the risk is that he gets injured again. And one of the things that happened last season was Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell. It didn't really matter who it was. Just they couldn't do the job. They couldn't do the job up to the task that James Conner could. If McFarlane can become that guy and all of a sudden he can do the job, James Conner may never get his job back is the thing. So if Conner stays healthy, you're right. He can be a top 10 back. But as we've seen, Joe, that he just he doesn't stay healthy. No, he does not stay healthy, which is why there's another guy did not want to touch at the value of last year. And value is very relative. So going into last year, he was a what? End of the first round, beginning of the second round pick pretty consistently. I wanted nothing to do with that because of the injury history. And then, unfortunately, everything completely went downhill and Roethlisberger got hurt and then Connor got hurt and then the rest is history. This year, you're giving him to me as a flex running back? Well, as a flex running back, now you have my attention because I don't need him to be healthy every single game. I need him to be healthy enough to give me some really good uh, games. And then, you know, as a flex running back, I got other options, especially in PPR. I can put a fourth wide receiver in there if Connor's out. And all of a sudden, he's more of a luxury item. Now, as a luxury item, in that Steelers offense, I think he's a fantastic investment. If you're getting him in the fifth round or something like that, that's great. I'm all about Connor there. Was not about him in the first or second last year. And with everybody who technically, you know, when a bad year happens, everybody wants to dwell on that. Let's go back and remember how good he was. And again, let's not have short-term memory loss. He was very good when on the field with Ben Roethlisberger. You're going to get some of that this year. But as long as you don't have to rely on him as your every week RB1 or 2, now as a flex, that's a much better position for him. And I think you draft McFarland anyway in the 14th round yeah, just yeah. to have him because I do see that potential of 
a guy like that coming in and either challenging or eventually taking over if Connor does get hurt. And then you've covered yourself a little bit. Yeah, for me with McFarlane, uh, we'll let training camp shake out. And maybe he ends up fifth on the depth chart and he's not the guy you want. Maybe it is Benny Snell who ends up reemerging as the number two behind James Connor. But it's a lot like I drafted Latavius Murray in every league I did last year in like the ninth round. Like if Kamara gets hurt, he's all of a sudden Latavius Murray is going to be like a top five fantasy running back. And when Kamara got hurt, Latavius Murray absolutely crushed. Now there, it's a lot of draft capital to spend on a guy that you're only might get two, three weeks from. But if that happens, you know, he's going to smash. Generally speaking, whoever the running back is, even if it's Jalen Samuel, who might not be good, at least fantasy relevance in the, as being the Pittsburgh running back is as long as you're the starter, you're going to be good. Uh, fantasy-wise. You might not be good in real life, but you can figure yeah. out a way, whether it's through reception, through the touchdowns, whatever. So Connor does present substantial upside, and I'll be drafting Latavius Murray again this year, and whoever the backup is for the Steelers, just because I know, thrust into that role will instantaneously make an impact. It's not like, oh, Christian McCaffrey goes down. Well, that means Reggie Bonifon's going to step up, and he's going to be 80% Christian McCaffrey. No! They might use three running backs. They might not use any running backs. I don't know how good this guy is. Uh, he's not Christian McCaffrey. That's what I know. But this seems to be more of a system type play for me. So, Connor, if he can fall to like the sixth round to me, I love it. Fifth round, I'm still okay with that. But there's a part of me that would just want to go, depending on what I've done already, do I want to go receiver there? Do I want to take my tight end there? That he's just sort of a eh type of pick a lot like David Montgomery but the other guy the last one really going in this range is kind of the standalone back. It is the epitome of oh, meaning David Johnson's going around here. <laughs> I know. I I I can't do it. I, I think he's done. <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot of people that are I, I hear in the fantasy community they they want to, you know, still hang on to David Johnson from the twenty sixteen. But let's be honest, this guy's had a I mean, he just we're talking about health. I mean, twenty seventeen he played the one game, twenty eighteen he didn't have that good of a season. He just yeah, almost a thousand yards, but he had three point six yards per carry. I wasn't very impressed. And then last year, Joe talked about him. I think in part one is just somebody who just could not stay on the field at all. So, no thanks. I, I don't think that he can go into into Houston and and get a thousand rushing yards like Carlos Hyde did last year. I think the only thing that I could say that I would be excited about is is his catches of the backfield. There's this this entire Houston team. I mean, a bunch of band-aids at the, all over the place and Brennan cooks and Will Fuller, Kenny Sills, David Johnson. Like how often are these guys going to be able to stay healthy? There's still some questions about the offensive line. So that doesn't help David Johnson out at all. I just think that he's just lost his explosiveness. So I'd pass. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm a guy who likes to draft backs early and then take those wide receivers and then look for the value a little bit late, like round five and six. I think Johnson will be there. But I, I just think he's going to be too much of a headache, Pat. I just, I'm, I'm not going to have any interest. At least what we talked about with Connor two years ago, RB6 playing 13 games. He's not that far removed from being a top dog in what was a really good offense, to your point, bringing any, putting in any other back and, and having some success. For me, it's, I, I can't do it. I can't get there. 3.7 yards for carry, 3.6, 2.1. It's just, there's some big time issues with DJ. Yeah. So, Joe, like, we talked about, I think, Gurley, Montgomery, Connor, and David Johnson. They're all being drafted around each other. You can even throw Le'Veon Bell into this mix, too. Yep. Is this sort of running back. I mean, like, to me, David Johnson is on the lowest rung of this. I would much rather have David Montgomery than David Johnson. You can say that Carlos Hyde got to 1,000 yards in this offense. That's great. He averaged 9.6 fantasy points per game. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's uh, let me put it to you this way: uh, Christmas Vacation, one of my favorite movies. Right? Remember when Cousin Eddie is dumping all of the uh, chemical toilet stuff into the sewer, and uh, then eventually uh, the the uncle lights the the match and to smoke his stogie, and everything explodes. That's going to be the first whistle for kickoff for the Texans. I think this year, that's what I think that they've basically concocted for themselves. And anybody who keeps wanting to make David Johnson a thing, they're going to continue to point out, well, nobody ran the ball more on first down than the Houston Texans the last three years. And that is fact. However, David Johnson looked like somebody who was unable to be on the field. And this is a guy that has a lot of different injuries and it's not just one thing. And I know it's sad. I know a lot of people don't want to come to that realization, but you know, you mentioned that group of guys, like I'm way more excited about drafting Todd Gurley. You're telling me he's going to fall into this group. I still find that hard to believe. Um, so there's guys in that grouping that I think are far and away better investments. And David Johnson, this one's just not a good investment. If you're going to give him to me as my fourth running back, my fifth running back. All right. Maybe you can tempt me to just kind of be curious and see what happens here. But I think when you look at what's going on here with Houston right now, is a complete cluster. I mean, the the draft was a disaster for them. Trading away Hopkins was a disaster. I think for them, the rest of this receiving core cannot stay on the field. And now you have another guy, a running back, who is supposed to be the focal point of the offense here for this team. And historically, they have guys like Lamar Miller, and then you mentioned Hyde last year, guys who could just turn around, hand the ball off, and he's just going to go. I don't think we can rely on David Johnson for that. And it's it's a sad state of affairs, but wishing doesn't make things true, unfortunately. And I think that's the narrative in the community of fantasy analysts right now with David Johnson. They wish him to get back to being 2016 DJ, and that is just never going to happen. And if it does this year and they're right, good for them. I am okay not having him on any of my teams this year. That shall conclude part three of the running back player by player profiles. I want to thank Joe. I want to thank Chris. You should hit them up on social media and buy the fantasy football black book for me at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, sub to the pod, like the video, all that fun stuff. Tell a friend while you're at it. We're going to be back for part four of the running back series. So stay tuned for that. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.